Why don't we open this morning before we look at God's Word uh, with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning we, uh, we come from different places and different families and different life stages. And Lord, we join together this morning, join our hearts together and our spirits together to hear from you. And so, God, we, we know that you'll be speaking through your word. You always do. And so, God, open our hearts to understand it, to hear it, to be changed by it. Lord, we lay our, our stuff, all of our cares and our worries and our sin and all the things that we've brought with us this morning, we lay them at your feet. We thank you for the cross that conquers all of those things. It gives us hope and freedom that we could not know apart from you. So God, uh, this morning, make us hungry for your word and fill us with it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It was in uh, 2005, and I'm sure you'll remember that Hurricane Katrina hit southeast um, Louisiana and uh, in the southern uh, part of Mississippi and, and so on, and, and devastating storm, obviously, and maybe some of you watched it on the Weather Channel as it just brewed out in the Gulf of Mexico, and the worst possible scenario sort of came together. It was the perfect storm, and it all sort of happened um, I guess in storm terms, it all happened the right way, but it was the wrong result, obviously, you understand, and powerful hurricane hit the Gulf Coast, and later that spring, when I was uh, still a youth pastor at the time, we took a group of high school students, and we went down to Pascagoula, Mississippi, and we did hurricane relief, and by that point, the, the place was not recovered at all, it was still very devastated, and we sort of toured that area, down around Biloxi and, and Pascagoula, we didn't make it over to New Orleans, but but we toured the area where the winds were most destructive. And, and, and down in Biloxi, I don't know if you know much about Biloxi, Mississippi, but it's, it's a casino town. And the economy there is driven largely by the casinos that float sort of out there in the Gulf. And many of them were blown up onto the shore, not just a little bit, but several hundred feet. And the hotels that are right there along the coast, the, the bottom two or three floors were just destroyed. Many of the homes, these great antebellum-looking homes that sat on these, these concrete slabs there right on the coast were just gone. And all that was left was the concrete slab. The, the Biloxi Bay Bridge that, that, that spans part of the, the uh, Biloxi Bay there uh, was, was literally destroyed. It, was, it collapsed completely into the, into the bay. Devastation I, I could not ever have imagined. And yet here I go walking out onto this bridge that is just pieces of road uh, sort of laid on top of one another. It's amazing the destruction that that storm brought. And one of the homes that we worked on while we were there, we got the opportunity to work on three different homes. And by that point, they were into uh, doing the sheetrock and, and mudding and so on. They weren't even ready to move back in. They were still trying to, to get the old stuff out and put new stuff back up on the studs in their homes. And, and one of the homes that we worked on was a home of a family who had about six children. Uh, fairly young children. I think the oldest was maybe a young teenager and then all the rest uh, younger than that one. And they told us their story of riding out the storm. Many of the people there evacuated. Many did not. They live in Pascagoula, Mississippi on Pascagoula Street. And the water on Pascagoula Street was running like a river that was flooded and was really moving rapidly. It was at least 10 to 12, in some cases 20 feet deep. Their home sits up just a little bit on sort of a little bit of a hill, kind of like our church does. Sort of a little bit of a hill that goes down to the road just a tad. And while the storm raged, they 
they rode out the storm, having eventually to move to their attic because the water was all the way up to the ceiling in their top floor. And there they are with six children just holding on, riding out this storm. As the water outside their home basically takes everything down the street with it. There was a school across the street. The roof of the school was covered. And, and it, was, it was an intense story to hear. I can only imagine what it was like to live it. They rode out the storm and, and everything around them was destroyed. They really had nowhere to go in the middle of that storm other than just to cling to one another and, and pray that the Lord would protect them in the midst of it. And thankfully he did and, and they all survived and, and I'm sure by now several years later have recovered and restored their home completely. But, but isn't it amazing what one storm can do? One powerful storm can destroy so much and and in our lives, obviously, the parallel is, is easy to make. We all face things that are just like that. Things seem to come together, and, and we almost can see it coming sometimes. And you just think, oh, no. And the, the, the winds rage, and the water begins to pile up, and, and you just find yourself having to ride out the storm. We've all been there. We certainly could all tell stories about that. But I wonder today as I wondered out loud to someone this week, as I preach to you each and every week and, and have the opportunity to look at, at your faces from this point of view, and you all are all looking toward me, and certainly I get some interesting expressions from time to time. But I wonder what's going on behind those smiles. No matter what stage of life you find yourself in, whether you are a young person, a middle-aged person, an older person, I wonder what's going on behind your clothes that you dress up in on Sunday morning and the smile you put on your face because, well, aren't you supposed to smile at church? But I really do. I wonder, what storm are you facing this morning? What seems to be brewing that you know maybe it's coming or you, you're already in the middle of it? What storm are you facing? Maybe you're facing some sort of disease that seems to have no explanation whatsoever. And, and you're going through the treatments and you're doing all the things and asking what you think are all the right questions, but there's no real explanation for it. You just, it's just a storm. Or maybe you've had some serious disappointment in your life and maybe you're that middle-aged or older person and you look back and you say, this is not what my life was supposed to be. This is not it. And, and, and you hide it by smiling and saying everything's fine when I ask you how you're doing and and yet, the truth be told, you say, you know, this isn't what my life was supposed to be like. Maybe you're 60, 70, 80 years old, and you say, I've just got a bunch of disappointment in my life, and, and it stinks. Or maybe you've faced the death of someone close to you recently. You look across the street to the cemetery, many of you have relatives that are buried there. And, and that was something that maybe you knew would come at some point, but what a storm that's been for you. Maybe the destruction of your family that you dreamed to put together and then was destroyed and taken from you through divorce or death or something along those lines. Or maybe your finances are just in ruin right now and you've lost your job through the, the economic downturn and you're wondering how you're going to pay the bills and you're living check to check. Maybe you've got a little bit left over at the end of the month or maybe you've got a lot of month left over at the end of the money. You know what I mean? And, and maybe you've seen that or maybe your friend's that you once held so dear, maybe they don't live here anymore, maybe you've had a falling out with them. What, what's going on this morning behind your pretty clothes and your pretty smile? What is it? 
if, if, if we were honest, we can all tell stories of the storms that we're facing and our attempt to ride out those storms of life. I want you to know that if you're normal, now I know we don't have any abnormal people here, right? Just nod. This is one of those things, just smile right now. I tell you, you know, don't hide your, you know, but just pretend like we're all normal this morning. But, but if you're normal, you are going to face storms in life. And you're going to know it. If, if you are having a normal experience walking with Jesus Christ, you will have storms in life. Understand that is a normal experience. Even Jesus himself said that in this world we're going to face some trouble. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, are by no means immune to the storms of life. And in fact, sometimes incur more, seemingly, than other people. So if you're normal, you will face storms in life. If you've read the Scripture in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you know of the stories of people who face some really, really difficult things. And it's often the fact, the difficult fact, that many of the storms we face have no easy explanation. There's there's no way to determine exactly why they've happened why your circumstances are the way they are. It's not easy to determine the purpose for what you're going through. Quite often, that's true. What is the purpose of those storms that we face in life? Why do they happen? What's God doing? I think that's the question that I know in my own life, and I'm sure that you're probably the same way that I often ask, what's this for? (laughs) Why, Why this? Why did that happen? Why am I facing this or that? And I I want to propose to you a a very simple answer to that very difficult question. And this will be what we will build on this morning as we look at the Scripture. We, we, We take this from the passage of Scripture that we'll see this morning and we will support it through what it says. The, the, the simple answer, not a simplistic answer, understand that, but a simple answer is that God's purpose in every storm that you face in life is to increase your faith. God's purpose in every storm is to increase your faith. Not a simplistic answer. Not an answer will just let go and let God. This isn't bumper sticker theology. This is true and real from the Scripture, and it is simple, but it's not an easy thing to come to grips with. The purpose that God has for every storm you face is to increase your faith. you got your Bible handy. Turn to Matthew chapter 14. I want you to hold your place there for just a second because I'm going to show you a couple of things in some other passages of Scripture that point toward this uh, purpose of God increasing our faith is really sort of the essence of the Christian life. This is really God's, God's intent for what we deal with. So hold your place in Matthew chapter 14 and then flip over to the right to 2 Corinthians. And we won't spend long in each of these, but, but turn there or write down the reference and look at it later. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul here is talking about the the future that we have after death and so on. And he says this little phrase in verse 7 of chapter 5 in 2 Corinthians. For we walk by what? By faith and not by sight. We walk by faith. That's the essence of our lives as Christians is to walk by, to live by 
our faith in Jesus Christ. Not by what we see, not by what we feel, not by our senses, but by our faith. And so Paul obviously points to that. He knew a little bit about the Christian life, obviously. Galatians, look in Galatians chapter 2. Flip to the right just a little bit more. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul, again, writes this. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, now pause there for just a second. The life I live in the flesh, the, my senses, what's still going on, my, my current situation, what? I live by what? Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So yes, I still live in a physical body, but I don't live that life anymore by my senses. I live it by my faith in Jesus Christ. Then go to Matthew. And if you've got your place held in Matthew 14, flip to the left just a little bit. Matthew chapter 9. So we understand Paul, obviously, after Jesus was here, is writing about the life of faith that we live as Christians. Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. Jesus encounters some, some folks who are bringing a paralytic man to him. And it says in verse 2 of chapter 9, uh, they brought a paralytic uh, lying on a stretcher. Seeing their what? Their faith. Jesus told the paralytic, have courage, son, your sins are forgiven. Then look at verse 22 of Matthew 9. But Jesus turned to her, another, another person who's, who's wanting to be healed. Have courage, daughter, he said. What? Your faith has made you well. Verse 29, talking about a, a, a blind man. He says, then he touched their eyes and he said, let it be done to you according to your faith. Matthew chapter 15, verse 28. Jesus replied to her, talking about a, a mother whose daughter was, was ill. Woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. Talking about the greatness of her faith in Him. And, and then finally in chapter 17, verse 20. The disciples were unable to drive out some demons and they asked Jesus, why couldn't we do it? And He says to them in verse 20 of chapter 17, because of your little faith. Isn't it interesting how... We see in the epistles that Paul writes, we see in the words of Jesus and the stories in the New Testament, this call to an increase in our faith. And so we see sort of underlying this Christian life thing is the idea that it's driven by and lived out by faith in Jesus Christ. Not by what we see, not by what we experience, not even by how we feel, but by our faith in Him. So it would make sense then that if the goal is to have greater and increasing faith in Jesus Christ, that God would ordain things so that what we experience would be to increase the essence of our Christian life, which is increasing our faith. Now, I have to tell you that this is probably one of the things that we struggle with most, a lack of faith. Because we live in a world that we can see and hear and feel and smell and taste and touch, and it becomes very difficult to live by what we cannot see, by what we cannot feel, by what we cannot touch by what we cannot get our arms around. It is a difficult thing sometimes to live by faith. And even the disciples themselves battled with a lack of faith. We're going to see an episode this morning in Matthew 14 that involves all the disciples, but one in which Peter is one of the main characters. As we begin to look at his life over the next couple of weeks, this is an episode that, that really he's not the star of the show because certainly Jesus is in this story, but Peter plays prominently in this story. 
And it's the theme of the storm and God wanting to increase our faith, and it's clearly seen in this. And so as we look at this particular story, I want you to keep in mind that theme, that God's purpose for every storm is to increase our faith. The context that we have here is this story in Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22, immediately follows the feeding of the 5,000. This incredible miracle, maybe you remember the story. Jesus has all these people and he's been teaching them and it's getting late and he tells the disciples, they come to him and they say, let's send the people away because they're hungry. And Jesus, you know, I just, I think sometimes he just said things just to see how they react. And he says, you give them something to eat. Knowing they have nothing in their, in their hands. And, and they respond, well, how are we going to feed them all? You know, there, there's no way, you know, it would take so much money to do that. And, and Jesus says, well, what do you have? And of course they have some fish and some loaves and he, he blesses it and breaks it and performs a miracle and all the people are fed and and how many baskets are, are gathered in this particular episode? How many? You remember? There's one of us, one of us seven, one of us twelve. Which one is this? Twelve. Very good. This is the twelve baskets that are gathered. I think sort of stamping on, on the disciples. Twelve of you, look what I just did. Twelve baskets. Here you go. Take them home to your family. You know what? Amazing what Jesus did. And so we have this incredible miracle, and the crowd's excited. You can imagine the disciples seeing Jesus perform this miracle, and it's sort of a rally point. Wow, what an incredible thing. And then we pick it up in verse... 22, and we see this principle supporting the idea that, that, that God's purpose uh, is, is to increase our faith. We see immediately beginning in verse 22, this supporting principle, write this down, that sometimes God himself sends us into a storm. This isn't going to be an easy truth for you to want to get your mind around, your heart around this morning. But if God's purpose in every storm is to increase our faith, then we have to understand that it is indeed true that sometimes God Himself sends us into a storm. Look at verse 22. Right after the feeding of the 5,000, Immediately He, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of Him to be on the other side while He dismissed the crowds. Now you know what's about to happen? They're not going to make it to the other side. They're going to face a storm that's going to keep them out in the middle of the lake almost all night long, and they're going to get nowhere. And who sent them there? Jesus. This is a difficult, difficult truth. But it is true based upon, obviously, the Scripture, that it was Jesus who made them. Some of your versions may say He, he compelled them, He he forced them to get into the boat. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. Guys, get in the boat, go to the other side. And it was at this command that they encountered the storm. Bear in mind, they are exactly where Jesus wanted them to be. And that's when they encountered the storm. It's, it's difficult, I think, for us because many would argue, and probably some of us here would argue that all the negative things we face have to, absolutely have to stem from some bad decision or sin in our life. Well, if you just did everything right, if you just made all the right decisions, well, put two and two together, I mean, it, it would work out. But, but these disciples, and we know from just our lives, these disciples were sent into the storm by Jesus himself. You know, there are really two different kinds of storms that you might face in life. There are those correcting storms. You look at the story of Jonah. Uh, he was running from God, disobedient to him. So what did God do? He brought a storm. He's going to correct him. 
here's a course correction, Jonah. Guess what? You're going the wrong way, so here you go. I'm going to fix it. And we've all encountered those things, certainly. We know that sometimes the things that we do, bad decisions and sinful things that we do, will bring about some negative circumstances and even some consequences in our lives. We've all experienced that. But there's the other side as well. And some storms are not correcting storms. They're perfecting storms. They're the ones that are meant to increase our faith, to grow us in a way that's different from just a correction. This is something that will perfect us. I think we're always looking, I know I am, for someone or something to blame for the things that go on in our lives, but it could be that you have been sent into the storm that you are currently facing by God Himself. Now, I've, I've had these experiences in my life as well. I'm sure you could tell your own stories, but we spent a year at a church that was just a stormy experience in Atlanta. I've told some of you about it. I won't bore you with all the details because I'm sure you, if you're not already wanting to move on because you think, well, wait a minute, God's sending me to a storm. I'm sure if I bored you with the details, you really want to move on. But a storm that I didn't create. You've been there. You understand that? Bad things happened. People treated you differently or whatever in the wrong way, and you didn't do anything to deserve it. You just sort of got caught up in it. But I learned through that to be gracious when I was given no grace. Our house flooded not long after we left there and came here. Some of you remember that. When we had 90,000 gallons of water that went through our house in Georgia while nobody was there for a week. And I learned some peace through that, though, knowing that, you know what, there was really nothing I could have done about it. Didn't do anything to deserve that, but learned about God's peace. And then I thought, well, surely to goodness... The house is flooded. It's been renovated now. Everything's brand new inside. It's going to sell. Guess what? Two and a half years it took us to sell that house. Just this past January, we were able to sell that house that we had on the market for two and a half years. Storms that I didn't create. You could get up here and I could adjust this microphone for you. You could stand right here and you could rattle off your laundry list of the same exact kind of stuff. This isn't about me. But I want you to know I've been there and I understand. But I learned through that house not selling that I don't really have to have all the answers. I still have no idea. Honestly, I can't. I've thought and analyzed and talked with people. I can't figure out for the life of me why God took two and a half years to sell that house. I have no idea. I can't see the real great lesson God taught me. But I've learned in life I just don't need all the answers sometimes. Just trust God. And, uh, but I tell you, sometimes God himself will send us into a storm. Why does he do that? Why does he do those things? It's very simple. It goes back to our original statement to increase our faith. Moving forward in this story in Matthew 14, we see another principle at work that supports this idea. And it's this, that we will never understand all of God's methods for increasing our faith. We'll never understand all of God's methods for increasing our faith. In, in chapter 14 again, in verse 23, look at this. Uh, verse 22, he sends them into the boat onto the other side. After, verse 23, after dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, understand evening was not already there. When evening came, finally, he was there alone. But the boat was already over a mile from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Do you get this? Jesus sent them out. He stayed by himself. I wonder what the disciples at this point were thinking. 
He forces them into the boat, sends them to the other side of the lake, and stays back. Now, the Scripture gives us several reasons why Jesus did this. In John chapter 6, it records that the crowd was so excited, they wanted, they wanted to anoint him king right on the spot. And Jesus was like, no, 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 no. This isn't going to happen. So he, he gets rid of the disciples so they can't join in with it a little bit. And, and then he, he runs off into the, into the distance, into the mountains. Mark records that, that Jesus wanted to be alone. Maybe he was tired and needed a little rest. Matthew, here we see, he wants to be alone to pray. Those are great reasons that Jesus had for sending the disciples into this particular storm and his methods for doing so. But regardless of his reasons, it may have seemed odd to the disciples that he sends them out. They're encountering something and he seems to be nowhere to be found. After such an incredible miracle, wouldn't he want to be with them and celebrate what God had just done? It seems in this particular story that the methods Jesus is using are just a little bit hard to understand. And life with Christ includes many moments like that. And I hope that you're able to be honest this morning and admit that, you know what, that's true. <laughs> there are many times when I just can't understand what and how God is doing what He's doing. There are times when it just doesn't make sense. If you think you have God all figured out, I will gladly resign as your pastor. You may take over because you obviously know a whole lot more than anybody else in this church. And you need to be up here, not me, because I don't have it all figured out. I really don't. And if you're honest with yourself, regardless of your stage of life this morning, you'll say, you know what? There are times when I just don't understand the methods God is using. I'm sure these disciples get out there and, and they just think, what in the world is going on? But you know what we have from the Scripture? We have the ability to understand a little bit about God's nature, what He has revealed to us in the Scripture, so that we can trust in His nature even when we don't understand all of His methods. We know from the Scripture that He is good, that He is loving, that He is just, that He is righteous, that He is holy. But at the same time, we have to understand that there may be times when it's difficult for us to comprehend exactly what He's doing. And it's in those moments where faith comes into play and we begin to trust more in who He is than what we can see He is doing, as difficult as that may be. Psalm 139, just write down the reference, verses 17 and 18, talk about the fact that the psalmist is writing and he says, God, Your ways are difficult for me to understand, but I know that Your thoughts toward me are as numerous as the sand on the seashore. God is for us, not against us. And in the moments when we don't quite understand what He is doing, those are the moments when God is using those things to increase our faith in Him. We move forward in this particular passage in Matthew 14. We see another principle, a difficult one. That He is, Jesus is more powerful than the storm, but He doesn't always calm it. He is more powerful than the storm, but He doesn't always calm the storm. Verse 24, But the boat was already over a mile from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Around three in the morning, He, Jesus, came toward them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw Him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. What else would they think? I mean, nobody had ever walked on water before, so give them a break. Immediately, Jesus calmed the sea. Is your version a little different? 
Immediately what? Jesus spoke to them. Now what he says has some great power, but understand, maybe they were expecting him to do what he did back in in Matthew chapter 8, where he's down below and the winds start to blow around and they go down and wake him up and he just gets up and he rebukes the sea, it says. I'd love to have seen that. What, did he just tell it to shut up? You know I mean? Just see, shut up. Calm down. You know, I mean, I don't know, maybe his, his best deep voice, or maybe he just said, shh. You know, I don't know. But he gets up and he rebukes the sea, and what happens? <laughs> Calm. Sunny day outside. Peaceful waters, just like that. They'd already experienced that. Jesus just waking up. No big deal. Kind of stretch out, yawn a little bit. <clears throat> gets up, shh. Voice, just trust me, everything's fine. Maybe they were thinking, here he is. We recognize it's him finally. And instead of calming it, he speaks to them. Have courage, he says. It is I. Don't be afraid. And what we have to understand is this is not an allegory. This is not some story that's just sort of to describe some spiritual experience that they thought they were in some storm and they had this mystical... This really happened the way the Bible says it happened. So we have to understand they were legitimately and really in a real storm on the sea which would have at that point terrified them. Here they are in the middle of the lake. The Bible says battered by the waves, blown back and forth. The wind is against them, which means they're going nowhere. They had been rowing for hours. You ever felt like that? Here I am just, Lord, rowing my little boat through life, and I'm going nowhere because it seems I take two steps forward and three steps back, and sometimes I just get picked up and blown way back, and maybe that's how they felt. They're getting nowhere. They're frustrated. They think, well, he told us to go on the other side of the lake. We can't even get to the other side. We can't even do what God has told us to do. And even when they see him and he begins to come to them, they're afraid because they don't quite recognize who he is at first. And all he does is speak to them. He doesn't calm the storm, but he speaks comfort and he reveals himself. Isn't it interesting that even though he doesn't calm the storm... He speaks comfort to them in the midst of it. He reveals himself. His role throughout this particular storm is to be present with the disciples. He's coming toward them on the water. He he is to be powerful in the midst of this storm. Understand, he's walking on top of the water. I think we miss that. The God who created the water demonstrates his power over the water by walking on top of it. Something that had never been done before. He speaks truth to them. Have courage, he says. It is I. The the literal rendering of it is I is what he said was, I am. Remember that from Exodus chapter 3? What did God say to Moses was his name? I am. All the characteristics of God are bound up in Jesus Christ, obviously. And he says to them, have courage. Guess what? God is here and I am him, he says. I am. You have nothing to fear. He says, don't be afraid. So he speaks truth to them. He rescues. We'll see this in just a second. When Peter comes out on the water, the Lord's role is to rescue him in the midst of the storm. And his role is also to challenge them because we'll see in just a second. He calls them out on their little faith. What is then our role in the midst of this particular storm that you might be facing today? You look at Peter's example. I think the disciples learned that no matter what, they need to look for Jesus to show up. 
What should be your role in the midst of the storm you're facing? They didn't recognize Jesus, maybe because they didn't expect Him to show up the way that He did. Sometimes it's going to be difficult to see the Lord working, but He will always be present in your life if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and perhaps in ways that you don't first recognize. And then just like Peter, I love this in verse, verse 28. Lord, if it is you, now that seems like a question, or he doesn't really believe it, but the actual rendering is, Lord, since it is you, it's a, it's a statement of confidence. Peter, Peter answered him, command me to come on the water. Come, he said in verse 29. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. Part of our role, I really believe, in the midst of a storm is just to walk toward the Lord to do all that we know to do in the midst of what we're facing, to just be simply obedient to Him. God, I don't understand it all. Lord, there's a storm raging in my life, but I'm just going to follow You. I'm just going to step out of the boat a little bit. I'm going to do what I know is right to do. And then, verse 30, But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. Now, I'm sure you've heard plenty of sermons on this before. I'm sure every pastor who's ever preached this particular passage will tell you that when you take your eyes off Jesus, you begin to sink. When you begin to focus on what's going on around you, you begin to sink. Faith begins to erode, doubt creeps in, and, and you, cannot, you cannot stay on top of the water in the midst of the storm with your eyes looking anywhere but at Jesus And as cliche as that may sound, as many sermons as you may have heard on that particular topic, it remains true that our role includes in the storm to keep our eyes on Jesus, to gain His perspective, to focus on Him to the exclusion of everything else around us. And then when we do doubt, when we do have moments where we lack faith, We are to do exactly what Peter did. It says, But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, What? Lord, save me. In the midst of your storm, maybe you lack faith today. Maybe you say, Lord, save me. I'm crying out to him. Immediately, it says, verse 31, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith. Here's the challenge from Jesus. Jesus is not content with our little faith. He wants to grow it. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. The testing was over. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly you are the Son of God. Part of our role is to trust and to worship him for who he is, for what he has done in the storm. Why doesn't he, though he is more powerful than the storm, always and immediately calm the storm? Why? We go back to the original principle. To what? To increase our faith. And then after the storm, it says, Those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly you are the Son of God. This story closes with this final supporting idea. The more completely you trust him, the more fully you know him, and the more deeply you worship him. Do you see the sequence here? Jesus wanted them to have faith so that they could understand him more and know him more deeply, so that they could worship him more completely And I want to add this to it, maybe on the back of your bulletin. If you've already closed it up, get it back out and write this down underneath that. The more more you, you trust Him, the more you know Him, the more you worship Him, which leads to the more you enjoy Him. 
the more you enjoy Him. God is not some tyrant who just wants you to get in line. He is a loving God, though obviously He is absolutely holy. But He wants us to enjoy Him because He is what is best. He is what is absolutely fulfilling. Our trusting Him, our knowing Him, our worshiping Him leads to us enjoying Him more, and that is the entire point of our existence. To glorify God, to enjoy Him forever. That's why we were created. So why does God sometimes allow or even send us into storms in our lives? Storms that seem to have no relation in particular to any bad decision or any sin. It is simply this, to increase our faith so that we will trust Him, so that we will know Him, so that we will worship Him, so that we will enjoy Him. So what's your storm today? What's your Hurricane Katrina that you're trying to ride out? What's really, really going on in your life today? I want to tell you that Jesus and Jesus alone is the answer for the storm that you face. He is, just as He was physically for Peter in the midst of the storm we saw, He is the rescue. He is present with you. He is powerful. He wants to increase your faith through what you're facing so that you and I will trust Him, will know Him, will worship Him, and will enjoy Him. Now some of us today... We are not stupid and we fully recognize that the storm maybe that you're facing is of your own doing. Maybe you say, what about the storms that I've created? What about me? I've sort of messed up my life with some sinful behavior and some really ungodly decisions. What, what about me? I'm not dealing with a storm today that it seems like God has sent me into. I've caused it. What about me? The instruction here is the same. Just as Peter cried out, Lord, save me in the midst of his sinking. We must do the same in order to receive his forgiveness. The Bible says that Jesus' death on the cross covers and pays for all my sin, all the mistakes that I've made, all the ones that I have made, the ones that, I, that I'll make today, the, ones, the sins I'll commit in the future. The Bible says the cross has covered it all. And the free gift of salvation is received only through faith. And so maybe your cry today in the midst of the storm that you've created because of the sin in your life is, Lord, save me. God, I repent. I turn away from my sin. And I believe in you as the Son of God. They say, truly, you are the Son of God. And you say to him today, I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. I am sinking deep in sin. God, save me. And Jesus reached his hand out to rescue Peter when he was sinking. And we as individuals and, and obviously collectively, I want to make sure we apply this to us as a church as well. We must follow his example. I wonder if we realize how many people who come here each week or live somewhere close in vicinity to our church are facing some disastrous storms in their life right now. And as a result of that, my question for me as the pastor here, for us as a church, is what will we as a church do about it? What will we do? Bury our heads in the sand and pretend it's not happening? Or will we 
regardless of the reason for the storm, whether a person has dug themselves a hole and it's their fault, or it just appears that God has led them into a storm, no matter what the reason for their storm, will we do what it takes to get people like that to Jesus Christ? To reach out a hand, to help them in their spiritual, physical, emotional needs, to join, to join the Lord in His work to rescue those who are perishing. That's my prayer for our church. So what's your response need to be today? Does God need to increase your faith? Do you need to tell Him, Lord, I don't understand, but I choose to trust You? Do you need to say in your sin, Lord, I, I repent, Lord, save me? Do you need to pray for our church that we'll be that kind of place that will rescue the perishing? Danny's going to come, and we're going to close with the song that we sang, Love Lifted Me. Now, many of you today are thinking about those storms that you're facing. Many of you are thinking, wow, that real encouraging message. God brought me into this. Isn't that real fun? But as the words of Scripture and certainly the words of this song say, it is God's love that lifts us out. Though we're sinking, it is God who rescues us. So I asked Danny before the service, I said, hey, we're singing that. Why don't we do that again at the, at the end? So if you've got your hymnal, I want you to turn. It's 546. Is that correct? I want you to turn to 546. And I want you to either sing the words like you really mean it or let God sing them to your heart and impress the truth that we've seen today that God does indeed care. That though He may have led you into this particular storm, He is more powerful and He can rescue. And He wants to increase your faith. Why don't we stand together and we'll close singing that song.